grace and growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. The only person that can prevent you from growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus is you. God wants it to happen, and no one else will he let stop it from happening. So let's look at that together this morning. I'm not going to read the whole, everything that John read. I'm just going to uh, look at, starting in verse 4. We're going to start in verse 4. Well, <laughs> all right. Got to have that divine power, right? Divine power in verse 3. According as his divine power. Really important. Put a box around this. If you haven't done this yet, put a box around divine power. His divine power. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So his divine power, the key to your growth is his divine power, not your power. Wouldn't it be tragic if your growth depended upon your power? Wouldn't that be horrible? Now, some of you might think, well, that wouldn't be so bad. I'm pretty powerful. You're in the worst shape of anybody here. Those of you that think if it was up to you, you would be well off or have no idea what a tragic thought that is. In you that is in your flesh, there dwelleth no good thing. But the Holy Ghost living within you truly has the power to overcome your selfishness and make you the man or woman that God wants you to be. What a tremendous promise. That's what he says, right? So we have this divine power giving us all things. And then it goes to verse 4 and it says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. How is it that God can give us such tremendous promises? And here's the answer, because it's based on his power. Yes? Right? When God says this can be the reality of your life, you can rejoice. Because his promise is based upon his right arm. And he's got a powerful right arm. If this promise was based upon your right arm, I can understand you being discouraged. Perhaps the reason you're discouraged, if you're discouraged this morning, I really believe the reason that you are discouraged this morning is because you're living in Romans chapter 7. And Romans chapter 7 says, the good that I would, I don't. The evil that I wouldn't, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? So who can deliver you from trying and trying and failing and failing? And the answer is, Jesus can. But only if you'll let him, only if you'll stop trying. Listen, you say, well, why would I keep trying? And the answer is because you want to boast. You want to brag. You want to say, look what I did. You're never going to say, look what I did, unless it's like this. Oh, man, look what I did. It's only look what I did you'll ever say, oh, Lord, look what I did. Lord, look what I did to my brother. Look what I did to my sister. Look what I did to my family. Look what I did. But you're never going to say, ah, look what I did. If it's going to be look what was done, it's going to be look what Jesus did. And he wants you to understand that. That's what he's telling us right here. Exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. So I can be God-like. That's what it's saying, the divine nature. Literally, I can have the nature of God in me, but it's God that does it in me. Amen? It is the Holy Ghost that makes me Christ-like instead of me, me-like. Amen? I'll be honest with you. I don't know how much I say this all the time. It's the recurring theme of the preaching and teaching here at our church because it really is what the Word of God is promising us. But I don't know how many people really want to be set free from themselves. The only, the only message that God will give me, I think, for the rest of my life is do you want to be free from you? 
If that's not what you want, this is not the place for you. And it makes no sense to pretend that's what you want if it's not what you want. God wants to set us free. And if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Free from what? Rome? Nope. Free from what? The left or the right? Nope. Free from you. Free from your selfish sin. That's what he wants to set you free from. Do you want that? If you want that, I have tremendous news for you this morning. I have what the Bible calls good news. I am an evangelist, if you understand what I'm saying. I am the bringer of good news. And here's the good news. If you'll let God work the work that he wants to work within you, everything will change. And you have to, all, you have to do is, all you have to do is humble yourself and say, God, help me. And he will say, I want to help you. But particulars of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Lust brings corruption. Do you understand? Selfishness. Lust is just selfishness. Lust brings corruption. Lust brings death. We hurt each other, according to James, because our lusts don't line up. Do you understand? Here's the tragic reality. I was talking to a, to a, 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 a young lady in our church, married, married woman in our church, and she was saying how she and her husband were having a difficult time. And I said, you know, I have good news for you. You and your husband are not much alike at all. So when you want what you want and he wants what he wants, it does not work. She said, well, that's not good news. I said, oh, no, it is. Because here's what happens. Some of us have a flesh that agrees with our spouse. In other words, you want what you want. Your spouse kind of wants the same thing. You can get a long way from God if that's true. Because you'll get along just fine while you're not walking with God at all. But if you're like many of us, my flesh and my wife's flesh are not very much alike. Neither one of it's attractive, but it's not alike. So we conflict quickly when we are not walking after the Spirit. We conflict quickly. And praise God for a blessing like that. You know, they say opposites attract. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, it is in magnets. But I don't know if that's true or not, humanly speaking. But here's what I do know. Opposites are helpful to each other because they demonstrate how selfish we can be. And what he wants you to understand is this. You have escaped the, the corruption that, the, that lust brought into this world. Lust brought corruption into this world, and you have escaped that. Praise God. And because of that, you can now be conformed into the image of Christ, which is the divine nature that we're seeing in verse 4. So that being true, that's how verse 5 begins. You can, you can write in the margin where it says, and beside this, what you can write is this. So that being true... Give all diligence. So now, because you have escaped the lust that is, excuse me, the corruption that's in the world through lust, the decay and death and terrible things going on all around us, because you've escaped that, here's where you can focus. Instead of watching the news, and I don't care what channel you watch, you're still wasting your time, just open your Bible. Instead, you want to escape the corruption that is in the world. Don't put this party or that party or this active group or that active group. Just read your Bible and pray. Do you realize that you are more powerful in prayer than in anything else that you could do? So pray. Go right over everybody's head and go to the one that sits on the only throne that actually matters. 
and talk to him about it. Amen? I'm not saying don't vote. I think you should vote. I think you should be informed, and I think you should vote. It's a privilege. Not every country has this privilege. God has given us a great benefit in our nation that we are allowed to do so. So be informed and vote. But this is the point. That's not going to take away the corruption. Your vote is not going to take away all of the corruption. It's just not. It's just not. Lust brought it. Lust will keep it. But the Spirit of God can take it away in your life. And here's the thing, and we're going to get to this. It might be the only thing we really get to this morning. The church, the church, Tidewater Baptist Church, or any, you can name, 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 name any, any Bible-believing church, just use that name, put it in the name of ours, where ours is. The church is meant to be a group of people who assemble together because of who Jesus is, who have been changed by Jesus in such a marvelous way that people would look at it and say, that's incredible. And we would agree with them. You're right, it is incredible, because we know us, right? I know me, you know you. I know you pretty well. You know me pretty well. I've been here for a long, long time. I got to know many of you pretty well. You guys have known me for, you know, those of you that have been here, been here for 18 years, I guess now. So it's a long, long time. So we know each other. And I'm telling you, the only thing that makes us worth being around at all is Jesus. No doubt about it. The only thing that makes us worth being around is Jesus. But not just that Jesus is wonderful, because Jesus is wonderful, but that's not what he wants to accomplish. It's just that you know that he's wonderful, but that you would let him change you so that we could labor together and people would see us laboring together and say, you guys working together like you work together. That's marvelous. And we would say, it sure is. Isn't Jesus awesome? Because I promise you, me working with him or her doesn't work out so very, very well. Why? Because my lust doesn't line up with their lust. But when Christ rescues us from our lust and gives us love instead, that changes everything. Amen? That's what God's selling us right here. So he says, besides this, now that that's true, now he says, give all diligence. And it means exactly what you'd expect it to mean. Giving all diligence. Focus on this. Put your energy and effort into this. I could ask some embarrassing questions right now. I could ask you how much research you've given to this, how much you understand about this. I, I, I started thinking about specific things. My mind goes to specific things. And if I did, some of you would get up and say, oh, I'm walking out. He picked on my thing, right? Right? Underwater basket weaving, Russ. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have done a great deal of research on underwater basket weaving? Now, see, there's not much threat of anybody. I hope there's not any threat of anybody getting up and walking out. If you're really that interested in underwater basket weaving, come see me after the service. I want to hear all about it. I would find that fascinating. God wants us to stop wanting what we want and start wanting what he wants instead. So give all of your diligence to this. That's what he says, right? I'm not making it up. Yes? Am I overstating this? Here's what it says. And besides this, because you've escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust, because you have exceeding great precious promises, because God wants you to give the, you the divine nature using his divine power, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Because that's true, now shift your focus. Shift your focus. Let this be what you think about and do. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And I don't have time to go back over this, but you cannot have this without faith. You must first trust Christ. If you're not a new creature, the rest of the list is useless to you. But if you are a new creature, then let this list change your life. And it's in order. And I, and I say it's in order because it is in order, and he makes sure that you understand that it's in order by repeating the one before it afterwards before he gives you the next one. So let's just read it. So besides this, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. 
and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, charity. So that's the list. It's a list of seven things, seven characteristics of a Christian, seven characteristics of someone who truly trusts Christ, right? That's what faith is. Someone who trusts Christ, these seven characteristics will be in their life, and by the way, in this order. The first one is virtue, and virtue is very simple. This is what virtue is. Stop sinning. Stop it. Stop living an ungodly life. That's what it is. Stop living an ungodly life. In my life, this is what it was. No more drinking. No more fighting. No more swearing. No, I don't want to get all over the list. No more of these things. That's the very first thing. What happens is this. A baby Christian becomes very aware of their own sin, and they stop. It seems almost weird to their friends. Their friends, their, their extended family, they're like, what do you mean you don't do these things anymore? No, I just can't do them here. Oh, and this is what they'll say. Oh, you're holier than I am now? No, I am not holy at all. I'm just not interested in those things anymore. They ruined my life for long enough. I don't want them to ruin my life anymore. They weren't just ruining my life, by the way. They were ruining my relationship with you, and I don't want them in my life anymore. Amen? So the first thing that happens after you trust Christ is there's virtue in your life, and that means this. It's a moral excellence. I no longer live the way I used to live. Praise God for that, by the way. It doesn't say strive real hard to be a better person. It says just cut out the nonsense. Quit these things. So then it says after, you, uh, after virtue, knowledge. And knowledge is really simple. Open your Bible. You want to understand knowledge? Open your Bible. Okay? What we're doing right now is profitable only because I have you with an open Bible in your lap. Do you understand? It would not be profitable for you to go to church and for the person standing where I'm standing to say clever things to you that would cause you to say, hmm, I had never considered that before. That's very interesting and clever. I'm going to go home and consider that some more this afternoon. No value to that. Here's the value. Let God teach you. So the power in what's being done here right now has nothing to do with my ability to persuade you. It has to do with the fact that it's what the passage actually says. So after you say, you know what, no more of this nonsense, God says, let me show you something better than that. Let me give you some knowledge. Let me just teach you truth. That's what it says. And then after truth, after you have knowledge, he says, add to your knowledge, temperance. And here's what temperance is. Boy, temperance is a tough one. Temperance is basically stop, stop exploding in what you want. That's really, you can just say that. Stop exploding in what you want. Here's what temperance, here's what the lack of temperance looks like. I, I, boy, I wrestled with temperance for a long time. A lack of temperance. I wrestled with a lot. Truly born again, right? I trusted in Christ. I quit a lot of things. I let the Bible teach me. But when I got angry, I still got angry. When I blew up, I still blew up. When I was upset, I was still upset. When I was going to hurt someone, I was still going to hurt someone. And God says, that's not self-control. That has to stop. That has to stop. And here's what has to happen. You have to be aware that it's getting ready to happen, and you have to cry out and say, God, don't let me do this again. Again, and I say it all the time. I say it all the time for this fall, but all I want now for the rest of my life is to never hurt anybody ever again. I just don't want to hurt. I just want to be a help to people. I just want to help them. I just want to show them the truth. I just want to love them and be kind to them and care for them. That's all I want. Well, if that's going to happen, then I'm going to have to get rid of the sin in my life. I'm going to have to trust God to teach me, and I'm going to have to stop blowing up whenever I'm upset about something. And then it says, add to your temperance, patience. Now, you'd say, well, wait, isn't patience kind of like temperance? In other words, if I have patience, doesn't that mean I won't just blow up? 
And that's not what it means. Here's what it means. Let God keep doing what God needs to do. Yes? How many of you want God to change you? Raise your hand if you want God to change you. Put your hand up higher if you really want him to change you. All right. How many of you want God to get it all done today? Raise your hand back up. All right. That's what it means. Okay? That's what it means. It means let God do what God needs to do. How, let me say this. You'd be surprised the little things in your life that are destroying your life. You want God to give you victory over whatever this is, and God says, I need you to stop this. And you say, no, no, Lord, that's not it. That's not my problem. And he said, you don't understand. It is your problem. Let me, let me deliver you from these things. This will actually be taken care of. Let me deliver you from the things I wanted to deliver you from. And let me do it. That's what patience is. Patience is trusting and waiting on God to do the work that only God can do. By the way, this is not just patience in other people's lives. Though, boy, should we... Uh, let me say it this way. I know me now well enough. Someone said to me this morning, I, and, and the, the person, I, would, I could probably say their name and they wouldn't be upset that I did, but I'm not going to. Somebody said to me this morning, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how it doesn't bother you when they do this, when somebody does this. And this is my answer. I got to know me really well. And it made me not be upset at them anymore. Do you understand? When you're petty, when you come here and you look around at other people and you look down at them, I don't think you know you. If you knew you really, really well, you'd understand that whatever they need, I need. And I need you to do it in my life, Lord. And so I need you, Lord. I'm going to be patient with you as you work in me. I'm going to let you teach me. I'm going to stop living just sinful life. I'm going to, sin's gone. You, you already set me free from it. I am now not going to walk after the flesh, right? I live in the spirit. I'm going to walk in the spirit. I'm not going to live after my selfish flesh anymore. I'm going to let you teach me. I'm not going to have this lack of temperance in my life. I'm going to not blow up and be upset, and I'm going to wait on you to do what needs to be done. That's wonderful, right? That's half the list right there. So what comes after that? And what comes after that is godliness. So now, now that I'm no longer living, again, I use the word jerk. I don't know how to better word. If you can think of a better word than jerk, you come tell me afterwards, and maybe I'll use that next time. Don't be a jerk if I don't use the, your word, though, okay? <clears throat> so, so now, so the first half of the list is I'm going to stop being the jerk that I am so that God can make me the person that I should be. And godliness is the beginning of that new list. In other words, now things are going to change in my life and people are going to see a different person. But it's not me. It's godliness, yes? Notice it doesn't have your name in there. Godliness is the, is the characteristics of, of the kind of piety that you... Well, it's just being like Jesus. You understand? It's your actions looking like Jesus' actions look like when you see him in the Gospels. When you see Jesus in the Gospels and you see him behave himself, you want to know what I found most marvelous as I was before I was saved? You want to know what I found most marvelous in my Bible? Was what a good person Jesus was. I found that amazing. They hated him. Hated him. And he knew it. Do you understand? You may not, I don't know what you're all thinking, Right? If ever, but I promise you, if, if, if 50% of you, 30, 10, 2, 2 of you, just 2 out of the couple, you know, 1%, if just 1% of you sitting here right now hated me, it would be a victory for me to just walk out the door. That would be a victory. Well, that's enough of that. You don't like me, you don't like me, I'm leaving. Amen? Right? They hated him. He knew what was in their hearts. 
and their minds, and he loved them. Tell me that's not amazing. More than once he turned to them and said, why do you reason like that? Right? Not why do you talk like that? They hadn't said anything. Why do you reason like that? Why are you thinking like that? That's what he said. Why are you thinking like that? Man, I couldn't even go in the room. Can you, honestly, can you imagine waking up in the morning? Here's Jesus. He wakes up in the morning. Where does he go, by the way? When he first wakes up, what does he do? Praise, right? He goes and gets alone with his father. That's the only good time of his day, I think, right? He goes and he gets alone with, right? I, I come to the garden alone. Well, the dew is still on the roses, amen? So he comes and he spends time with the father, and then he goes to his disciples, and I'm telling you, they're not much to brag about. And then he and his disciples go to a bunch of people who literally hate him. They hate him on purpose, by the way. No matter how many people he heals, no matter how many people he takes care of, no matter how many people he feeds, they're looking to find a way to stop him. That's absurd to me. Literally absurd. And he loves them. Well, that's why I want to be Christ-like. Amen? That's why I want to be godly. That's why, right there. Not so I can be, look at me now. That's not it. Godliness is simply you now behave yourself the way Christ behaves himself instead of behaving yourself like you behave yourself. Amen? Okay, that brings us to the last two. And we looked at them. We actually, ironically, we actually got through this list last week. But we have to see it. Don't we have to see it? Doesn't it matter? Because we're going to get to the point after this where it talks about being barren and unfruitful. But we have to understand what the list was before we understand what it means to be barren and unfruitful. And add to your... Uh, Patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly love. Now, here is the real difference. Here's the real difference. This is where godliness shows up. This is where godliness shows up. What this is saying is, this goes back to what I said, something I said earlier. We, uh, we voted recently, uh, two weeks ago maybe, to get another van to pick up more children. Right? And, and it's already, it's there, it's pretty, it's got new lettering on the side, it's white lettering, it's a blue van, it's got white lettering, it's gorgeous, it looks wonderful. That does not impress our community. That does not impress our community, nor should it. We pick up children in the van and bring them here and give them food and take care of them, love them, preach the gospel to them. Amen? Well, that might, that might, they should might want to see that. Listen to me. If we don't do it together, if we don't do it together, and brotherly kindness, if we don't do it in love, then it means nothing. It's just religious effort. I didn't get a lot of amens, did it? Didn't. We have, we have, on on, on uh, Thursday, Thursday we go down the street to, to uh, the school down the street, Crestwood, and we preach the gospel. 50-something children. 50-something children. That's more than a lot of churches will have in attendance this morning. 50-something children down the street this Thursday ministering the gospel to them. Well, here, here. Not if it's not done in unity. Not if it's not done in love. If it's not done in love, pooh, spit on it. Useless. You don't believe me? Open your Bible to 1 uh, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Remember when I said if you want Jesus to make you the person he'd have you to be, raise your hand? Well, now keep your hand raised and we'll read 1 Corinthians 13. Now we'll find out if you really meant it when you raised your hand. Because here's where the rubber hits the road, right? With all diligence, have brotherly kindness. Let's look at this list for just a second. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. In other words, if I could speak all the languages on the planet, that's what it's saying. If I could speak German, French, Spanish, English, every language, you pick any language anywhere in the world, if I could speak all of those languages, 
And if I could even speak whatever languages angels speak, and I don't have charity or agape love, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, there's nothing worth hearing in what I'm saying if I don't have love. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, now that's, that's basically what I, kind of what I'm doing right now, although I promise you I don't have all, I don't have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. Now, I, God has seems to bless me to be able to open the Bible and be able to preach and teach to it, and that's wonderful. And I do have that giftedness, and that's wonderful. But if I don't have love, if I have this knowledge, and if I have faith so I can remove mountains, in other words, if I really believe God so much so that I could say, from where I'm standing, I don't know where Kenny's car in the parking lot is, Lord. I don't know where Kenny's car is, Lord, but I'd like you to pick it up and throw it in the pond behind the church. Amen? Anybody want to look out the window and see if that happens? Right? I, I promise you I don't have that gift. I'm not sure what good that gift would actually be, but, you know, I don't have it anyway. But I don't have charity. I'm nothing. I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods. So this talks about, so first of all, if I could speak in such a way that it's the most impressive thing you've ever heard, but I don't have love, it's not worth listening to. And if I understand everything that I'm talking about, in other words, I'm not just articulate, I'm actually intelligent. If I have all of that and I trust God so I can remove mountains and I don't have charity, it's of no value. Well, what if I just give things to people? No. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, you can, you can give to, to, you should tithe, you should tithe. You can give the faith promise, which is to help the missionaries, you should do that. And you can give the special gifts that we do to help people when they have needs in our church, and you should do all of those things. But here's what it says. If I have not charity, if I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it what? It profiteth me what? Nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. Sounding brass, a tinkling cymbal of no value, of no value, of no value without charity. And here's what it says. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails. Yes? Okay, God says, I want you to have brotherly kindness. Now, i got to ask you, I mean, honestly, how you doing? How'd, that, how'd you do with that list? Anybody want to raise their hand real high again? Honestly. Okay, now listen, listen. It, 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 it's, 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 it's comical to a degree, yes, that we're all so short. But then why do we treat each other the way we treat each other? Why is there any contention ever? Why is there any, you didn't do this as well as I would have done? Oh, wow, you're great. Do you understand? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? You're awful quiet. Does everybody still want Jesus to change them? Or yes or no? Are you willing to be aware of how not good you are? Are you willing for the, how, for the Holy Spirit to do it? Isn't it clear that only the Holy Spirit can make a change that's, that we're talking about right now? Yes or no? Right? Right? Man, I can't even, I mean, honestly. It's, I mean, you know, she handed those papers out counterclockwise. Right? And the kids are all confused now. Why didn't you hand them out clockwise? That's the way you hand out papers, right? Some of you, some of you, some of you aren't getting it. We, brotherly kindness is in the list of the things that conform us to the divine nature. The divine nature is not goes to church. The Pharisees went to church. Do you understand? And they wanted to kill Jesus. 
Going to church is not a victory. Jesus changing you, that's a victory. You being willing to be changed, that's a victory. And it's a victory we all need to cry out for together. Say, God help us. Make us the people we need to be because we surely are not left to ourselves the people that we need to be. I just want you to look at one more passage concerning this love, and that is in 1 John. Turn to, we went to 1 Corinthians, go to 1 John. We'll study 1 John after we're done with 2 Peter, and I think you'll find it to be a tremendously important book in your life. But let's look at this just quickly. 1 John, chapter 4. 1 John, chapter 4. Now we're talking about brotherly kindness. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. You guys are following me, right? Verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God. For God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, so now let's look at us loving each other in that context. Here's the kind of love that God wants you to have. This is, listen, listen. Oh, by the way, let me say this. I, I, made a, I almost made a mistake. Or I might have made a mistake already. If you think I'm asking you to love each other because that's the goal, and it is the goal, you misunderstand what I'm saying. You must be aware that you don't love each other and make Jesus, make him do the work necessary for us to love each other. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? Here's the thing. Those of you that are going to leave here and say, I'm going to try harder to love like I should, you're going to fail. You're just going to live in Romans chapter 7. But those of you who are going to say, Lord, what you're asking of me, I don't have the power to do. He will say, okay, then let me do it. And you will let him do it. And you, listen, you will actually be a bubbling over happy person, not because you try to love very unloving people. And listen, here's our problem. I'm telling you, this is our problem. I could love you guys all day long if you weren't so hard to get along with. Right? Yes? No? Right? Honestly, the word jerk comes to mind again, yes? It would be, it would be easy for us to love each other if we loved each other, but we don't love each other. But Jesus does. Yes or no? He does. He really, really does. Not theoretically Jesus loves us. Jesus powerfully loves us. How much? How much? Here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Jesus Christ came and shed his blood for you. Amen? And while you were yet sinners, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. That's love. Yes? That's love. And this is what he's saying. Now love each other like that. That love each other like that. And here's what you have to say. I don't have that kind of power. And he says, oh, thank God you finally admitted it. Because now I can do what needs to be done. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. That's the brotherly kindness that he's talking about. All right, now turn back. And we'll finish up with our list. And we'll go on to the next verse. 
So then we say, well, wait, there's one more after brotherly kindness? Now, here's the funny thing. I, I say this funny. I have been in a fair number of churches in my life. I have not been in any church that I would say has mastered brotherly kindness. Anybody want to say that they've been in a church that mastered? By the way, if you're here and you already have been to a church that mastered brotherly kindness, what are you doing here? Yes, tell me that church because I'm going to go to that one. Amen? They probably won't let me be the pastor, but I'll be okay with just being a member. Do you understand? Brotherly kindness is something we know God must be working in us. He must be working that in us. Yes? Do you understand? You say, wait, there's, a, there's something beyond that, and there is. And what is it? It is charity. But if brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness and charity are very, very much, very, very much like the same thing. But brotherly kindness is us loving each other. So that if brotherly kindness is us loving each other, then what's charity? Anybody want to help me? Yeah, it's us loving those people. Us loving those people. But listen to me, if we can't even love each other, how are we ever going to love them? And as the hymn says, as the song says, how do we reach a world we never touch? And how can we show them Christ if we never show them love? See, just to say we care will never be enough. It's not what God is after. We can't say we care. We have to care. And we can't, listen, and we're not qualified to care until we can love each other. So maybe we just should stop, honestly. Sometimes I wonder if we should just stop. I don't know how many of you really care about loving each other. But I, I'm not saying we have to do the love each other perfectly until we, before we can love them, because we'll never do it if we have to do it perfectly, because as long as I'm in this flesh, I'm going to have a problem. As long as you're in your flesh, we're going to have a problem. But until we're able to realize we must have that love so that we can love them, I don't think we're ever going to be able to help them. Man, I, I was listening, listening to a, an engineering podcast, and I know you guys think I'm crazy. I really, I still find engineering fascinating. I was listening to an engineering podcast. And in the engineering podcast, which has nothing to do with politics at all, which is one of the reasons why I enjoy listening to it, they just started talking about people who watch a certain news network in America. And now anybody that would watch that news network must be out of their mind. And, and, it, got, and it went downhill from there. And you probably a lot of you watched the news network that they were talking about. That they must be people who are so stupid and hateful to watch that. And I was listening to that and I thought, is that really how people think? Is that really what they think? And then I realized, wow, we are so far apart in America right now. We are so far apart in America. We can't even agree on what news network to watch anymore. And listen, the words they use were hurtful, hateful words. But then I wonder how many pulpits in America are using the same hurtful, hateful words the other way around. Do you understand? Do you understand? But how are we going to help them if we don't love each other? You tell me, because I don't know the answer. In fact, I do know the answer. We can't. We can't. And here's what it says. If you don't believe we can't, let's look at what it says. It says, for if these things be in you, what things? The list of seven we just looked at. If these things be in you, and abound, <laughs> and abound, right? I just enjoy one scoop. Yes? How many of you like ice cream? How many of you like one scoop of ice cream? Nobody. But one scoop of charity, I'd be all over, amen? If these things be in you and abound. So, so here's the good news. Here's the promise of God, right? Because this is the right, exceeding, exceeding great and precious promises. Here's the promise of God. 
you can love each other. But Lord, I don't have it. Oh, I can give it to you. How much? It can abound in you. So now, don't settle for anything less than abounding love for each other, right? Don't settle for anything less than abounding goodness in your life. Don't let, abounding godliness, abounding patience, abounding temperance. Don't settle for anything less than abounding this in your life. Why? Because that's what God says. Let these things be in you and abound. And if they're in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither, that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you can know Jesus... And it be of no value to anybody else. But if these things be in you, then your knowledge of Jesus will be beneficial to others. Amen? Anybody? I remember this very much. I remember being a baby Christian and telling people about Jesus and them looking at me like I was a lunatic. You are a lunatic. And I just couldn't shut up. Because Jesus is awesome. Jesus was awesome when I was a baby Christian. Jesus is awesome now. But by the way, when I talk to people about how great Jesus is now, they don't think I'm a lunatic anymore because I'm a pastor. So now it's contained. You understand? Oh, it's your job. But I don't have to listen to you because it's not my job, right? That's what happens. When I talk to people about Jesus on an airplane or in a, in a, in a, in a parking garage, if I talk to people about how great Jesus is, they can, the, the first question, when I, was a, listen, when I was an engineer, one of the first questions people asked me when I talked about how great Jesus was, their first question was this, are you in the ministry? And I'd say, no, no, I'm an engineer. And then they'd be like, oh, man, now we've got to listen to this lunatic. You know what I'm saying? Because it's not his job. In other words, he's not trying to sell us something. I wasn't trying, I'm still, now as a pastor, I'm still not trying to sell anybody anything. Jesus is just awesome. Jesus is worthy of us talking about, amen? So what he's saying is this, your knowledge of Jesus is of no value without love. Do you understand that? Your knowledge of Jesus is of no value, let's look at it again. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren and we're going to talk about that in a minute, nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you can know about Jesus and not be of any help to anybody else. But if these things, if Christ is really making the promise change in your life, the promise of growth, healthy growth in your life, if that's happening in your life, guess what? You can be fruitful. Amen? How many of you excited about that? I mean, I really, I'm truly excited about that. It blesses me today, now, still, that this is a wonderful truth. It, by the way, it's helped me a great deal. This study has really caused me to understand what makes not just our church, but all churches weak. And the answer, of course, is flesh, but you can see it in the list that we were just looking at. Let's look at this. So he doesn't want us to be barren nor unfruitful, right? Those are the two bad words in this verse, right? If these things be in you and abound, that's great. They make you that you shall neither be barren, oh, that's not good, nor unfruitful, oh, that's not good. So your knowledge would not be barren and your knowledge would not be unfruitful. Let's talk about those two words. Let's talk about barren first. They, they sound like the same word, but they're not. When you think barren, think of the word idle, idle. Let me, let me say it this way. If, if we go, okay, if we go out the church property here, out, out this door, we go out this door together, and then we go that way, towards the interstate, okay? Towards the interstate, yes? Everybody following me? If you go down there, from here you can see some trees, some green stuff coming out of the ground. It looks like trees, right? If you get down there, there's a fence. There's a fence that keeps uh, the, any animals that would be on our property from running out into the interstate, because there's an interstate right behind us, okay? So think about this. I want you to think about that ground. That ground is idle ground, yes? You guys just did some work on some property, right? Just cleared some stuff, yes? So, but how long had it been since the, that ground had been worked? Any idea? 
12 years, okay? So that's called, that's idle ground, right? That's barren ground. It's not that, listen, when we think barren, we think of, oh, man, man, my corn didn't grow. No, that's unfruitful. Barren is this. That field looks terrible, right? How did that, how did that field get like that? And the answer is, it was idle. By the way, guess what? You can own the land. It can be your yard, Kenny. It can be your yard. <laughs> and if you're idle, so will your yard be, Amen. It will be idle because you didn't do anything. It will be a disaster. And this is what God is saying. If you don't let him change you, even if you are a new creature, it will still be a disaster. People will look at your life and say, that doesn't look good. Right? That looks like an overgrown mess. And God says it is, but it's not my fault. Because I'd love to change them if they'd let me. And if they'd let me, then they would not be idle. It would not be barren. It would instead be cleaned down to what it needs to be. Anybody ever notice when you, when you clean up a, a field? It doesn't take very long. I grew up in Vermont where, where a lot of farming, a lot of farming. You clear cut an area and you mow it and you mow it. The next year it looks like it's been mowed forever, right? Not, it just looks tremendous compared to what it looked like before you did this. So here's the point. If you will let God come in and rip out the disaster in your life and instead put the Holy Spirit into your life as he wants to be in your life, you not only will not be barren, you'll be fruitful. Amen? And that, nobody else got excited. I'm really excited about that. Anybody, so here's the good news. Even if your life is not what it should be today, if you're already a new creature, if you're faithful, if you've trusted Christ, praise God, what needs to be done can be done, and it can be done right now. Amen? Because the Holy Spirit can come in, let, let me get rid of all this nonsense. Let me get rid of all of it. And then let me make you fruitful instead. Amen? And how does it happen? These things be in you and abound. Well, how does that happen? And the answer is, well, here's what Jesus says. Abide in me and let me abide in you. Yes, and you shall bring forth much fruit. Much fruit. What's that? That's not unfruitful. That's an abounding fruit. By the abounding power of God, you can have abounding fruit in your life. Father, thank you. Lord, I don't know what to say other than thank you that this can be true. And Lord, truly, I believe you want to do some work in lives this morning. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would really deliver us from all selfishness. Lord, that you would cause us to understand that it is your desire, your good pleasure to get rid of the idle ground in our lives, the barren ground in our lives, and instead bring forth much fruit. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed if you would.